0: Coming up on the FSR Fighter podcast, it started with big sores on her legs.
1: It took the doctors about nine, six to nine months to determine that I had sarcoidosis. But the way they figured it out was because I, I started getting these large knots on my legs, which is nodosum.
0: Sharon Fantazi had never heard of sarcoidosis. And then she had it.
1: And when the doctor told me, I said, "What? No one ever heard of it. I large didn't know that." Wait, wait, a
0: large knots on your legs, like below what? my
1: knees, it's just big, a big sores. Like you see, you'll see photos of people that have those clusters and those sores throughout. You can get them anywhere in your body, right? And that's what happened to me. And so to big, test, like big, like big
0: open sores, like the size of
1: a No, like bruises.
0: We'll hear her story. An apology from me. And the question of how we keep going through all the treatments coming up on the award-winning FSR Sark Fighter Podcast.
1: This is the Sarkfighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin.
0: Hello and welcome. This is episode one oh two of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. This episode is brought to you by ATAR Pharmaceuticals. To learn more about their new pulmonary sarcoidosis trial, FSO fit, visit slash ATAR trial, and there's a link in the show notes. So I'm recording today on December 11th, 2023. Let me get this out of the way first. I owe all of you an apology because I just missed an upload last Monday. I just missed. I I don't have an excuse except that I just took my my eye off the ball literally. Uh it was the Thanksgiving holidays and somehow the the calendar must have thrown an extra monday in there and i lost track of the schedule and i failed to upload and um as far as i can recall we've gone through 102 episodes now so uh going you know well over two years and that hasn't happened before so um I- i'm feeling pretty bad about that because i'm a journalist i take deadlines very seriously and um, I have promised you new podcasts every other Monday, and this time I just whiffed. Uh, so I am—I am so sorry about that. But I—I um, I, I got uh, at least one message that I've seen on—I uh, think through my Instagram or my Facebook account. But someone said, "Did I miss something? I'm looking for your for your podcast, and I'm not seeing it." And sure enough, that was when I had this big sinking feeling in my gut, like oh, no, I, I can't believe I did that, but I did. Um, so anyway, uh, let me tell you something that's that's more interesting. This sort of leads to uh, a sarcoidosis takeaway at the end of it. It's sort of a roundabout way of getting there. Uh, you wouldn't think that what I'm about to tell you about would be related to sarcoidosis, but stick with me and see, see if you uh, agree with my conclusions here. The uh, the whole Carlin family spent this past weekend at a remote mountain lodge in Rockbridge County, Virginia. Um, beautiful, beautiful. It's a wedding venue. Um, I guess I guess it could just be a lodge for reunions or whatever. But clearly, they are set up to handle weddings. Um, and this would be in what most people would think of as the Southern Shenandoah Valley. Of Virginia, okay, uh, outside Lexington, Virginia, which is the home of the Virginia Military Institute and a and a famous college, Washington and Lee College. Um, <clears throat> so we were in the uh, in the countryside surrounding that, right, right in the mountains, just absolutely gorgeous. But the family wasn't just there to attend this wedding. There was there was a big Carlin commitment. Let me detail that for you, because it was it was wonderful. First of all, my youngest son Tyler was the best man because the groom, Ethan, was his best friend growing up and they are still extremely close. And then so my grandchildren <clears throat> Olivia, Finn, and Holden were all in the wedding. Olivia is four and she was the flower girl and Finn is three and Holden is one. And so what they did is they had this beautiful red wagon that my parents had given them for Christmas last year. And they did it all. all, um, They kind of took it and made holiday decorations on it on the sides that come up. And, And we had Finn come down the aisle pulling Holden. And they were the ring bearers. Uh, so that that was the plan, and getting young kids to cooperate is is <laughs> not always easy. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, so so my grandkids were in the wedding. Tyler's in the wedding. Uh, Tyler's wife, Emily, my daughter-in-law, was also one of the bridesmaids, and then my two other sons were there, uh, not only as lifelong friends of Ethan, the groom, but they actually he actually works for them now. And I'll, I'll just throw this out there. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before or not, but um, my two oldest sons have a very successful YouTube channel. They are the Super Carlin Brothers, um, and they make their living by producing videos on their channel, and they do a lot of work uh, in the realm of what's known as fandom. So uh, think in terms of Harry Potter, of Star Wars, of Disney Pixar, of of all of these uh, uh, different types of um, productions, whether it's I mean, sometimes it's, you know, Harry Potter started out as a book. Right. But then became the movies. And now it's, you know, it's everywhere. But um, these guys just do a lot of work within that area, looking at the movies, looking at, at different theories as to how the characters came into their various situations, looking at the backstories of characters, and it goes on and on and on. And I can't really explain it to you. Um, some of you may be familiar with their work, but at any rate, Ethan, the groom, is their editor. So uh, he, works, he works for my two older sons. So they were both at the wedding. And yes, uh, and here here is the part that um, I'm very proud of, uh, in addition to all the other stuff. But I was actually the officiant for the wedding, so I I was there to perform the ceremony. Uh, and this, as it turns out, is the third time that I've done this. Uh, I performed my uh, my middle son, Ben, got married several years ago, and uh, so he asked me to perform the ceremony, and I was absolutely thrilled and flattered. So I did that. And then um, his wife's sister got married and they asked me to perform that ceremony. So that was maybe a couple of years later. And then Ethan, another family friend, you know, was talking to everybody and, and he's like, well, we need somebody to perform the ceremony. Do you think John would do it? And they said, well, just ask him. And of course, I was I was thrilled to be asked because it's, it's very flattering that somebody would think that 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 would be something that that I could do for them, and then and then to be a part of their lives. So so the Carlin connection to all of this was amazing, and I and I will throw in the fact that my wife, Nana Mary, uh, had a big big role in terms of getting the littles, uh, Olivia and Holden, and uh, and Finn, to get in the proper position to to do their part as young children who had to. Go down the aisle and be absolutely adorable, and just get through their part, and then, and then not be distracting throughout the rest of the ceremony. And so, Mary, may, Mary may have had the biggest role out of any of us. So, how that works is I, I am not a, uh, I, I am not ordained or anything like that. Um, and in Virginia, you go to the courthouse, and you get a license to perform a single ceremony on the day in question, and then that's it. Uh, and every time I've done it, I thought it would be the only time or the last time that I would do it. So so I went to the courthouse, and I got my license to perform that ceremony on that day. Uh, and so we arrive at the wedding venue, and the bride's family is from Chicago, and we're in Virginia. And you know how it is. People come from all over the country and they're they're at this gorgeous venue. And people, I got sick. I mean, I got really, really sick. Friday night was the rehearsal dinner. And I had been out of work uh, one day last week, um, was feeling better. I'd had uh, just a severe case of intestinal something or other and spent a day pretty much wanting to be within you know running distance of the bathroom let's just leave it that way but um but I rallied I got better friday night's the rehearsal dinner I went to the rehearsal dinner pretty much ate and my stomach was still off a little bit but I ate mostly as normal and then um friday night yeah it it I had a bad rebound bad it was worse than it was when I was sick earlier in the week i mean Let's just say both ends, okay? Um, and it was bad, so I wound up staying in bed for most of Saturday, um, I, and I could not eat anything. Mary went to breakfast. You know, of course, they've got all the all the wedding-related events, and and everything is self-contained at this wedding venue because it's, and it's like. 10 miles into town so that, you know, they, they, but they have everything on premises and they do a great job. Mary goes to breakfast. She says, I brought you some food. And throughout the, throughout the day, I literally nibbled on a cold pancake. And that was all I was able to, to do. But I, my thing is, is not only was I feeling badly like ill, but I was also worried like, I'm the wedding officiant. Like my whole family is here. The kids, the grandkids, the, the bride and groom, the families traveling from all over. And I cannot not do this. And, I, and so I said, all right, I'm going to stay in bed. I'm going to rest. And if I have one good hour on Saturday, it's going to be the hour that I perform this ceremony. Right. So uh, and I am just sick with with worry. Uh, about not letting these people down well um so the wedding was at i had to be in place around four o'clock for the lineup around 2 30 or 3 i just put my clothes on i got out of bed i went out and i took a a lap around the outside of the inn felt okay you know felt okay had not eaten anything yet but i said all right i can i can do this i've got i've got the strength and and i'm not I'm not having to run into the bathroom every 20 minutes, so I, I did. I rallied and I did the ceremony, and it went off without a hitch. Um, it was, it was just so beautiful. The bride was beautiful. The groom, and, and I don't think anybody ever told them that I was sick. Like they needed one more thing to worry about, right? Some of my family knew, but I, but the word was don't tell. Ethan and Kate, just like let's not put that burden on them, and so and then I will tell you they had they had written vows that they were going to exchange and they had them in these little booklets that uh, they were supposed to give to me that during the appropriate time the ceremony I was supposed to give to them they forgot their vows and so I'm going through my checklist and I'm like I don't have the vows I I what am I going to do I don't don't so I I went and saw my son Tyler the best man I'm like Tyler no vows. And so they had to wind up going back, or there's two big inns on this property, but they're about, about a half mile apart, and, and there's <clears throat> you can't walk between them. It, it, it is rugged territory. So they jump in the car, uh, they run back down, they find the vows, they bring them to me, and they arrive literally with two minutes before we're supposed to line up and start the ceremony. So we got the vows, um, and, and that, that, was, that was great. And the grandkids were amazing they were so so cute little finn pulling the wagon with little holden in it and finn gets halfway down the aisle and he's so proud of himself and then everybody starts applauding and he just stops like he's three and he's like i don't want to say he's like waving to the crowd but he just stops he's looking around like oh wow look what i did uh and that made it even better It made it even better so uh, he he comes down the aisle, and then Olivia comes down the aisle and she's throwing the flower petals, and she was wonderful and and she was just absolutely gorgeous in her little gown and uh, everything everything was was super the uh, The ceremony went off without a hitch and and um, I managed to rally and stay through a good part of the reception and uh, went to bed that night, knowing that I had dodged uh, a pretty significant bullet and was just so. Relieved, um, not, not that um, not that I wasn't sick anymore, but that I, you know, had done this, and you know, had 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 successfully, you know, helped these people out, um, because I had been so worried about it. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse here. I guess you get my point. So I went to bed thinking that I had dodged a bullet. Well, about the middle of the night. I woke up with this intense pain in the middle of my back. This was not anything that I had been feeling during the illness, during the the sickness to date, right? Uh, I mean, I had 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 all kinds of things, but I hadn't had any pain in my back. In fact, the last time I felt this type of pain, and I remembered it clear as day, was early December of 2018. Almost, I want to say almost to the day, all right? So this would have been December 10th. So it was back in 2018 and that time I wound up going to the hospital and spending three days in the hospital because of a flare of the sarcoidosis and, and an MRI showed that I had inflammation all up and down my spinal cord. Now, just to give you a quick reset for me, my sarcoidosis is neurosarc and it is on my spinal cord and, and it, has been, um, it has been an issue. For me, and I have some permanent damage to my spinal cord from my initial onset with sarcoidosis. Well, back in 2018, I'm in the hospital. I walked as if I was drunk. I, I, I couldn't walk a straight line. Um, I could not use the, you know, all of my um, bowel movements were were not functioning properly because of the signal blockage from my brain. They gave me massive doses of IV prednisone, uh, and they got it under control in a few days to where at least I could get out of the hospital, but that began basically a whole year of massive doses of prednisone, and uh, all through 2019, they were giving me IV treatments of uh, cytoxin, which is a chemo drug, Um, and I mean, 2019 was just awful. Okay, and, and you guys have heard me talk about that ad nauseum. But while I'm lying in bed and I have this pain in my back, I'm thinking, yeah, the last time I felt anything like that, it was the flare. And, you know, and so everything starts going through your mind, right? Uh, I, I'm going through, you know, not only does this hurt, but that's, that's kind of beside the point. But what if? What if this is a flare? What if I have to go back and all of a sudden my twenty twenty four is like my twenty nineteen and I started thinking to myself could i could I go through that again I mean could I if they told me they were going to put me back on eighty grams of um, milligrams of prednisone and the 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 chemo drugs and I, I said could i could I do that again? Would I just tell them no?" Would I tell them they had to find something else? As if there is something else. I mean, I'm already going to the Cleveland Clinic. I'm I'm going to one of the, you know the the best facilities in the country, uh, and I, and because I host this podcast, I'm kind of aware of what's out there because I'm talking to doctors, I'm talking to researchers, and so, fortunately or unfortunately, I know a lot more about the 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 playing field for sarcoidosis, and and I just kind of have heard most of the options. And I, you know, I just thought, Oh my God, I just, I just don't know. I don't know if I could go through that again. I, I, it just was, and it was very real for me in the moment. And then later Mary said to me, she's like, John, I don't know if I could go through all that again. I mean, she's my caregiver. Right. And, but she hasn't, she hasn't really had to do much with that other than tolerate me. (laughs) But I mean, you know, we've, we've, take regular trips to Cleveland, which is from here. It's, you know, it's a three-day outing, a day to drive up, a day for treatment, a day to drive back, and just, it's very disruptive, and, um, and, and there's just, it's just a lot, and, and um, now, ultimately, uh, I can tell you that um, all that worry was, as far as I know right now, for naught. It appears to have been related to the sickness that I was having at the time, the gastrointestinal issues, the pain subsided. Um, and, uh, and it has uh, it actually came back a little bit, but but if it had been a flare, it would have come and it would have stayed and, and nothing short of a trip to the hospital would have fixed it. So I am, I am grateful again. This was just kind of a reminder um, and the word, I don't, I, remission is not a word that you're supposed to use. My, my sarcoidosis is described as controlled because I'm still taking medications. I'm still taking Imuran every day and Humera once a week. Um, and that is, as far as we know, and I don't want to take a chance to find out, but as far as I know, that's why my sarcoidosis has not returned. Uh, the word remission is when you're not taking anything. And you don't have any symptoms, so what's well, called me control. But man, I am so grateful to be controlled. And then it made me think of all of you that I talk to, who have recurring battles or ongoing battles with sarcoidosis, and you are in the struggle. Um, maybe maybe you've never even ever had the sense of getting better, uh, which I have had uh, because because I'm essentially symptom free while it's controlled. And so I just want to reiterate how much um, I and all of us salute you wherever you are in your journey and your efforts and your battle and your struggles. This is a tough disease. And that's why um, I end every show here by saying until next time, keep fighting, because that's really that's really all you can do. It really is. Hey, I, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I kinda of, kind of got real Down and melancholy there, and really, I I guess you know I should be up because everything that I was worried about didn't happen to me. But, um, but I did want I do want to salute all of you, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And uh, I want to uh, thank FSR for joining with me and in uh, and helping me put this podcast out there, and and helping me reach as many people as possible through their website, and and we are really partners in this project. Um. And uh, it helps me and helps FSR reach more people with the messaging and and all the people that have given the time to share their stories or the researchers who have given their valuable time, and their time is so hard to find, uh, to, to get the message out there and to keep people talking about sarcoidosis. So it does help reach more people and grow the show. If you share it on your social media, give it a good review, wherever your podcasts, and and uh, just tell one other person in the sarcoidosis space about the FSR Fighter podcast. All right, coming up, I have my interview with Sharon Fantazzi. She's an FSR community outreach leader at Innova Health System. That's a volunteer position with FSR. So, she's one of the people who lives near Innova Health and she is working on focus groups. She's offered to help guide patients there through their struggles, to help give them whatever guidance or her thoughts uh, or, or a support group, you know, whatever it is that they need. And so Sharon is doing that. And, um, she's an interesting person. She's very up. Uh, she referees basketball, but she keeps having flares. She's dealing with all the issues from the prednisone that inevitably comes with all the flares, but she's a lively person. She's a, she was a wonderful interview. And I know that you'll enjoy hearing her talk about her journey with sarcoidosis because she's just so up and and interesting and wonderful. And Sharon is up next here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast.
1: I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumble.
0: Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast. Joining me now is Sharon Ventazi.
1: Um, is pronounced Sharon. Oh,
0: Sharon. I am so
1: sorry. It's okay. Yeah. I get that all the time. Okay. I am in I am I live in Maryland, but I'm originally from New York and I relocated to Lorton, Virginia, which is Fairfax. And that's my connection with Fairfax.
0: Okay, gotcha. So, Sharon, I am so sorry about that. Um, Should should have got that straight ahead of time. Actually, I was looking at your bio on LinkedIn, and you went to a SUNY school, did you not? Yes, I did. Purchase, State University of New York at Purchase?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay, because I'm a SUNY grad also. Are you really? I went to SUNY Plattsburgh, way up on the Canadian border.
1: Oh, where it's nice and cold. Yeah,
0: just have the 4th of July, and then the rest of the year is winter. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like, no.
1: That's just the county, so that's why I ended up doing the whole SUNY. um, Okay. Because I did Westchester Community College, which is a SUNY college as well, which is a two-year, and then- going to um, purchase to get my um, four-year
0: degree and my, my wife and I met uh in college but she also uh she grew up in Westchester so northern uh, so Westchester
1: then you're familiar County. with that area
0: I know it a little bit I know it a little bit my wife would know it much better my wife Mary well let's talk about you and sarcoidosis shall we um where do you have sark in your body first of all
1: my lungs, lungs Mine okay. is pulmonary. pulmonary pulmonary
0: okay, okay. And, and how did you first know that something was wrong? Tell us the story of how Sark crept into your life.
1: Okay. Uh, look, this is funny. It's not funny, but it's it's unusual. So I was diagnosed with sarcoidosis 27 years ago. Now, what happened was I went apple picking in Katona, New York, which is Westchester, and um, at the orchard. I had a great time. It was nothing. I was fine. I went in perfectly fine. And it was with my sister's family and mine. My sister had recently been diagnosed with lupus. So when I started having shortness of breath and stuff, sarcoidosis has similar symptoms as lupus mm-hmm. with the knots and things. Mm-hmm. And um, it took the doctors about nine, six to nine months to determine that I had sarcoidosis. But the way they figured it out was because I, in, I started getting these large knots on my legs, which is erythemolidosis. And when the doctor told me, I said, what? No one ever heard of it. I a didn't large know. Payment, wait,
0: a large knots on your legs, like below what? my
1: knees. It's just big, a big sores. Like you see, you'll see photos of people that have those clusters and those sores. Throughout, You can get them anywhere in your body. Right. And that's what happened to me. And so to big, touch-
0: like big, like big open sores, like the size of a. No, cord? like bruises. Oh, bruises. Okay. Like
1: a bruise, like a big bruises.
0: And what did the and doctor call that?
1: Erythema lidosis.
0: I've never heard of that. Really? Erythema lidosis.
1: Erythema lidosis. Yeah.
0: Okay, so, so, were you misdiagnosed, that, or was that actually what it was?
1: Well, that's what it initially was, but it turned out it's sarcoidosis, a form of sarcoidosis. Okay. Wow. Because I had it on my knees, on my legs, and then he—that's when he had me go do the biopsy on my lungs, because oh. he connected it, because he said. I think you have sarcoidosis. After, you know, sending me around to rheumatologists and ENT doctors and all of that. Right. He, finally fit, he he actually bust uh, put the puzzle together by saying, oh, wait, these two things are connected. And that's what I ended up having, sarcoidosis. And once he realized it was that, he put me on 60 milligrams of um, prednisone uh-huh. because I couldn't breathe. The, the problem was that I even knew I had an issue with. His- Cause I couldn't breathe. I used to run hills and stuff. And where I come from is a lot of hills in, right. in the area. And I used to go up the hill, like, no problem. Then all of a sudden it was like, oh. and then walking across the room became an issue. So it was all because of the breathing that even sent me to the doctor. Not And then after he had me go on the, the, the I call it the um, glow tritus tour, through all these doctors and all this right. blood work, the knots showed up. And the knots is what made him realize what it was. But no one knew much about it. So I didn't talk about it. So initially when I um, fast forwarded moving here and I've been under the care of Dr. Ariel, who's the um, the person that referred me to uh-huh. the Foundation of Psychotosis and Research, but he's a pulmonary specialist and he's the lead person at um, I know the Fairfax Hospital. Right. For lungs. And when I, I connected with him immediately because he, because he had a curiosity about the disease, he listened to every patient. And so I finally felt, felt heard, right? Here I have somebody that seems like, oh, they, they believe that I'm I'm exhausted from doing nothing. They believe I slept eight hours. I woke up because part of one of the symptoms is fatigue. And you could take a, go to sleep and wake up and feel like you haven't even rest. He like he got it. So when I would go in and I talked to him, I was like, oh my God, I was so tired. And then I didn't tell my families really too much about it because they wouldn't understand it. I didn't understand it. Right. But I walked through all of this with the prednisone and stuff. Then I come here. And then from the relationship that I have with Dr. Ariel, he all of a sudden I got this email from Mindy saying, would you be interested in being a part of the foundation of sarcoidosis research? I'm like, I've never heard of them. I've had sarcoidosis for 27 years. I never heard of them.
0: Never heard of FSR.
1: No. Wow. Not until wow. Dr. Ariel, and well, he recently, I Novas one of their new um, partners. So it, it, it's new to I as well.
0: Right. But right.
1: It really is, and so what? I felt so honored. I said anything that he says. He asked me to do, I'm doing it, because he was so kind to me during my flare-ups is what I call them.
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. That's what it's. When, when you have a flare, it, life is not good. So you became, uh, you're a community outreach leader now at uh, Inova?
1: Yes. I'm so excited. I am a community outreach leader. So tell nice people what
0: that is and what that means.
1: So community outreach, it, what I do is I represent I um, Fairfax Inova Hospital. And I physically go out in the community to churches, health fairs, and different things and talk about sarcoidosis to bring awareness. Because that was the one thing I felt like now I can fight it back. Before I was so vulnerable, I couldn't do anything, right? Like all I could do is take the medicine and guess. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to tell everybody in the world that'll listen to me. And I'm going to get some money for this organization. So, and people are like, when I sent out, I, I... Immediately connected sarcoidosis um, to my small talk LinkedIn um, Instagram page so that I could then start asking just everyday people, like people I know, to give to my foundation. And it was so funny because so many people are like, you have sarcoidosis? I didn't realize you had it. 27 years. But I never said anything because when you tell people you have something that they know nothing about, they then start thinking different things, right? They speculate. And they mm-hmm. have no idea. And then mm-hmm. here I am back in the corner, I'm like I can't really um, explain it. I used to tell people it's the cousin to lupus, but it is not the cousin to lupus. But those are the, that was the only thing that I could tell people in my world so they could have some kind of understanding of what the disease is. But it's exactly. so much more than yeah. the cousin to lupus. It's so much more. So what I ended up doing was um, becoming a community outreach person. So going out, speaking out about it. Um, they also have a community... Um, President, th- uh, what is that title?
0: There's two, there's, there's two, two I, I roles. can't remember the title. So the yeah, other role is each,
1: doing the, um, you know, the the support system, right? right. So they actually right. get together and they speak to, what is, what is their role? I'm going to tell you the community group leader. Group so leader. what the community right. group leader does is they meet and they have a support group for right. people that suffer, that have sarcoidosis. But what I love about, um, the, um, FSR is they also have the support group for family members. So mm-hmm. if I didn't participate, my daughter can participate. And what happened is that it allows the your supporter, the person that's t- actually um, taking care of you or assisting you, to have a better understanding of the disease as well. So then they say, "Oh, because my daughters was late, t- used to tease me. I'd be like, I'm driving. I'm like, oh, I gotta stop. I'm fatigued. They're like, this lady is crazy, and they used to tease me." Right. After my daughter came to one meeting, she's like, "Mom, I'm so sorry <laughs> because they've been tormenting." All
0: get kids. it, like, right?
1: Not believing anything because sometimes you ate. You could wake up every day with a different issue, right? Because if you think about it, it's inflammation disease, right? Inflammation can go anywhere in your body, right? That's so right. it could be your hands, it could be your legs, it could be your feet, anywhere. Yeah. So that was my that was my challenge, really so being a community outreach person gave me an opportunity to talk to people and the main reason why i wanted to really get involved is because i wanted people to see someone that looks like them and that to me was important because there's so (laughs) many black americans yes experience sarcoidosis and they don't even know they have it that's first of all we're not diagnosed as quickly as our white counterparts, and I don't know, it's because we don't go to the doctor, or we ignore it. Because think about it: if you're having some swelling, you just have a swelling, you just right. soak your feet, and you keep going. You you know, take an Epsom salt bath or whatever, right? If right. Uh, you're short of breath, you just think, oh, I just I did too much today,
0: or you I'm out of shape, or you know, whatever. Got to go to the gym, you know. You you make you just assume, unless you know that it's sarcoidosis, you're just going to assume it's it's just life, right?
1: right or aging right oh yeah. getting older right, this is, right. Kind of, this is but uh with black americans they have the highest incidence of sarcoidosis in the united states and they have the highest ho- hospitalization and mortality of all groups
0: and so, the lowest and the lowest diagnosis and are least likely to be able to get help
1: exactly for, for many so reasons. many reasons so yeah. that's why I was like are you kidding me and just going out in the community and just talking about it so many people are going to the doctor to check out the things that they had wrong with them, that they like, didn't think about it. Right. Yeah. go check that out. It could be this. And the thing with sarcoidosis, it hides, you never think it takes them forever. Not now then, but because we have um, FSR and they are the leading non um, they're the leaders in this nonprofit organization. When it comes to sarcoidosis, they do the most research and they generally get, and they truly get everyone involved right so what mm-hmm. can i do you can get involved as much and as little as you like right that's the best thing about this organization right, right, they understand right. that okay you suffer from sarcoidosis so if you have an issue and you can't do something for let's say you you know you need a month or two they get it
0: yep yep yeah, for sure and they
1: support you
0: so Sharon, I want to I want to go back just one other thing. So, you, first of all, you said you were picking apples, but you never told me what happened that day you were picking apples. Did you like you just like you couldn't carry the bushel back to the car? I mean, no. what what happened? What happened?
1: They rel- so what happened was after going apple picking, I went home, and I was I started feeling tired. Uh huh. It was the fatigue that got me first. Okay. And then I started having shortness of breath. Okay, and so for six to nine months, they could they didn't figure out what it was.
0: But the very first day you were picking apples, new at home, you were like more tired than you should have been.
1: Uh, right, but I okay. equate that to, because the only thing that I did out of the norm, out of out of out of the norm was going apple picking. So Got the it. doctor said, I believe you had allergic reaction to the pesticide. Ah. Which caused the sarcoidosis to be triggered? He said it's probably already been always in your body. Okay, and it triggered it. I'm sorry, I should have said that part. <laughs> no, that's
0: all right. That's all right because we we leapfrogged ahead, and that was interesting too. But I I just wanted to I wanted to connect that dot. So <clears throat> that's interesting. The pesticide triggered it. You know, I think, I, and the other thing I want you to do is is talk about the um the diagnosis. Because a lot of people get a rash around their ankles. Right. And which was, that was my case. All right. And I disregarded it for a couple. I thought it was dry skin, you know, I mean, I, or my pants rubbing because I was hiking or something like that. And, and, and now I know from talking to different doctors and different patients that that was certainly an early indicator that something was going on with me. So right. did you have anything that was like a rash as well?
1: So that's what the erythema with the dosis was, but it was a, it was like a rash, but it was a knot and it was hard. And if you touched it, like I would scream, it was so painful to touch. And that's what, it was just the rash. That's how he diagnosed it because it was the, okay. but there were hard knots. Wow. If you can imagine like, yeah. so imagine your rash, but just in a knot form. Like a, a mosquito bite or a wasp bite, and it, you got it um and, and, and it, it swelled up.
0: Okay. That's what it was
1: like. And okay. to touch it, so that's what that's what trick. That was the first thing. That then the shortness of breath came because by the time they realized what I had, yes. I already had the legions on my lungs.
0: Okay, so so then they put you on sixty milligrams of prednisone, which is that's a that's one of the higher doses that I've heard about. So how long did you have to stay on that? A year, so, a month, what?
1: Uh, oh wait, let me put my. Usually, okay. My um. So with that, what happened was I was on prednisone. Oh my god, for about off and on a year, maybe.
0: Okay, because usually they, they start they with a big me dose. Down. Yeah. they mm-hmm. wean you know. So
1: I started weed with sixty because yep. they wanted to um. Know what was um what was going on with me. And then the problem with the zone is that it masked everything, right? But he went in my body, because he said my body was in full overload with the immune system. And it was freak, it was just screaming and freaking out. Those are his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. He said your immune system is screaming and freaking out. I said, You tell me about it. How you think right. I feel? And so I started with 60 and I did 60 for two weeks, and then I did 40 for three weeks, and then I did 30, um, like that. He started weaning me down. Until I got um, down to, you know, finishing taking it. So I must have taken it for about, I would say about five months
0: Okay. initially. All right. Do you take anything right now?
1: I'm currently doing, I have to do everything is for my lungs. So I do the ebuterol, and I do um, the nebulizer.
0: So they're treating the symptoms, but they're not going after the Sark itself. So- and I would yeah. guess that I would guess that you're not having any flares right now, so you're walking around, you're breathing relatively normally, that kind of stuff.
1: Well, though, no, actually, what's happening to me is because sarcoidosis um, causes all kinds of things. I have I'm suffering from dry eyes now. Ooh. So, yeah. so what happens is your eyes get so dry from the inflammation. Yep. That you're, they're always running, and then they get so I have steroid drops for that, okay. and I'm doing the. At Buterol and the pump. So if I, because I am a, I a, a referee basketball, um, high school basketball. What? Because I want to be in shape, and it's hard to be in shape if they keep putting you on steroids every time. Because they will put me on steroids, and every time they put me on it, you, they, my doctors realize that I, you get you blow up, and then you lose the weight. Yeah. But they think figured out that I keep six to eight pounds. Yeah. Mm. Look, can you imagine 27 years of doing this and six, eight pounds stay?
0: Yeah, no, nobody <laughs> wants nobody wants that extra eight pounds hanging around. No, and
1: they, and they, you know, they keep telling you, oh, your cholesterol, your blood pressure. Well, I mean, you keep putting me on steroids. What am I supposed to do? I can't get the weight off.
0: <laughs> I love it. So, but you mean, Sharon, uh, most people, when they want to lose weight, they go on a diet and they join the YMCA. You're refereeing basketball. That That's not the way most people lose, stay in shape. Just saying, I
1: do, I do that just to get out because I'm from New York and I really don't okay. know that many people. That right. was the other thing about being a part of FSR. I made a lot of friends yeah. and people that can actually relate to what I personally am going through. Right. right. So right. even we, because they call it the snowflake disease, because we all have different symptoms, but we all know something about something that we like. You had the rash and I had the rash. Right. When I said fatigue, the first thing is like, oh yeah. We get it. Right. So it's like that community in itself. And I love that. I am informed on what's going on. The latest on clinical trials. This is a reason for a person to get involved with it. Right. Yeah. This past May, we went we had we went to do a congressional briefing with our white paper. I mean, this organization is awesome.
0: Yeah, I was there.
1: I was there you could do as much or as little as you like and that's right. what i love about it. Yeah.
0: Yep, yeah, absolutely. So, um now i want to i want to talk some more about some of the other things you do. First of all, you're a project manager for the Federal Aviation Administration. That sounds like a huge, big, hard job.
1: It is. And challenging sometimes. Yeah. Only cuz we get the fog foggy brain and all these different symptoms that go with sarcoidosis, right? And um, it is. Which, but what I do is I know that I am at my peak in the morning. So that means that I start my day at
0: 6.30. A.M.
1: My day ends at 3. But I continue working. But I get up. I'm online at 6 o'clock or I'm in the office at 6.30, 6.15. Cause we go into the office one day a week. So one day a week, I'm there like six, 15, but I'm doing my most critical stuff in the morning. Cause that's when my brain is the freshest. And right. that's the thing you learn as a sarcoidosis, um person, you know, when you can function and when you can't. Right. So three yeah. o'clock is when I start doing things that are not as critical. Got but it. it's balance.
0: That makes, that makes perfect sense. I, you know, I, I'm that way also. Unfortunately, I also do the eleven o'clock news. <laughs> so I PM? Yeah, PM. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So, but uh I like to get these podcasts recorded in the morning when, when my mind is is sharp. And then um uh, uh anyway, uh, I I try to portion it out throughout the day. That's all I can do. But I That's you know really- the brain the brain fog is real, right?
1: It is so real and people yeah. don't believe and I actually ended up suffering with um I got COVID. Did you? Oh, my God. It was terrible, though. And what made it so bad was um, you're already short of breath, right? Yeah. You don't know. Right. All I had was shortness of breath and then all my regular sarcoidosis issues. And so when I went to the doctor and they said it was positive, I was like, what? The only thing I had that I didn't have with sarcoidosis is I lost my appetite. Okay. Because sometimes with we'll sarcoidosis, because I have sinus problems, I can smell, I can't smell. It was the right. weirdest thing. It was right. the weirdest thing.
0: That is. And that
1: fatigue is real. That fog, bringing fog is real.
0: Right. So, well, in addition to that job and you getting up at six o'clock in the morning and doing all that, you actually uh, host a, a show, a public access show. So what, what is, what's it called? What's that all about?
1: So the name of this show is Small Talk and it's because i'm from new york is small talk Talk, right see look
0: okay (laughs) okay
1: three a's and the reason why i started is because it was so much going on the on the news and it was just to me noise because it was just too much going on back when i created the show right and it's just to keep the community connected so with shows about like i think my first show recorded was um Vinaya, which is a nonprofit organization, and it stands for Families Alleviating the Need in America, okay. and it's a group of women that came together, and they have all these different initiatives, Christmas wish, book bag, um, college care packages, they take young kids camp and have never left out their neighborhood, like all this fabulous stuff. So I'm, that's what I'm doing, right? I'm showcasing people, just everyday people on my show and keeping people connected to what's going on in their community. And um, initially when I started it, I needed something to take my mind off of um, being in a strange environment, because I just moved here. Mm -hmm. Um, Different flare-ups happening because of stress, because that's the other thing. You could say, oh, I'm not stressed. And then you have this flare-up, and you try to figure out why, because really you are stressed, and you haven't identified it. That's right. So it was a form of relaxation for me, coming up with ideas, coming up with the questions, speaking to the person in advance, Prepping, it was wonderful. I love it. So I and the thing I like about it is because it's public access. So if I want to record it in the early evening or Saturday or Sunday, I can do it whenever I need to do it. And so I do it in the studio first. They have first dibs to it, meaning they air it first, right? And I upload it on my um insta on my um
0: Facebook YouTube page. YouTube, okay.
1: Yeah, I use YouTube. And for people to see it, and I started that because my mom is in New York, and so she said, "I'm going to see your shows." I want to. I'm like, it's public access, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she always thought I was going to be a star, so that's why I put it on YouTube, so that it was for my mother <laughs> to see nobody else. And then other people started looking at it, so I got a few um, subscribers and a few people. Right. But the good thing about it is I'll be able to interview Dr. Arielle in December. So I'm nice. excited about
0: that. Nice. So if you live in Northern Virginia, um, where where how do people watch it on TV? Is, is it on the local cable network? Is it's, on Channel Channel it's on Channel 10. Channel 10.
1: Channel 10. It's the local Fairfax, um,
0: Fairfax. station.
1: Okay. But what I'm doing now is, because I'm talking about sarcoidosis and a little more serious things, I'm going to... Um, connect with the public access channel here in maryland mm-hmm. and then they do one in westchester because i have a big um i'm from there i grew up there. everybody knows me right And i have an air in my little town called greenberg so that people can just see what i'm doing and, and the connections that i'm talking about are connections that anyone could have anywhere right right and if you want to give you could go online and give if it's something that you want to Skin, but also too to get the information out about different things, just like sarcoidosis.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that you'll you'll take your channel and talk about sarcoidosis as much as you can because that's just a great opportunity to continue to spread the word. And you obviously because you're the the you know community outreach leader and all that. I mean, you know you know the drill. And, and the, how many people out there? Uh, have sarcoidosis or walking around with it and don't know it. They just think they're tired or they just think they have a rash. And they, they never even ask their doctor, well, could it be sarcoidosis?
1: But also, too, doctors are now just learning about it, really. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I believe, because uh, I went to see different people. I had no idea. They didn't know sure. what it was,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: They're just starting to get familiar with it. And I would say in the last maybe 10 years or so. Like mm-hmm. it's just starting to get, because you have famous people like um, Bernie Mac. He had sarcoidosis. Right. He sure did. Uh, Tisha Campbell has sarcoidosis. There's people like famous people. Now that these famous people and they're people in the black community, right? right. So when mm-hmm. they hear about these people, like, oh, wait a minute, and then they think I might have had this, or this might have been that, or you know, you start looking at yourself. But I found that a lot of older people, like older, like over. 50, like 70 and right, older, right, yeah. um, have sarcoidosis and just went through all of these different flare-ups and had no idea.
0: Right. No idea. Right.
1: It was my brother-in-law's sister, she had it. And it was it was because of her she would see me, and that's how I knew I had dry eyes. Because mm-hmm. I'm in a community, nobody knows about sarcoidosis. Right, and my eyes. Would, I said, "Oh my God, my allergies!" I ran into her in the store one day, and I was like, "Oh, my allergies are crazy." She said, "That's not your allergies. She said that's sarcoidosis. See under your eyes." And now she's pointing. You see under your eyes, you have this little dryness. She said, That's you better go to your doctor and go see your um ophthalmologist." She was right. She's a sarcoidosis Mom, patient, sarcoidosis. and she knew. If I, so, think about it. If we have people everywhere you go, all over, and we and we're informed. Yeah, you could at least tell them get checked out, right? Not diagnose them. Just tell me. The- <laughs> I'm right. not encouraging that. I'm just saying probably right. go to the doctor to, to find out more. But doctors don't seem to um, have all all the answers. It's really you as an individual that needs. I had to journal. That's what that's that's the first thing I did.
0: So yeah, so tell me about that because everybody's looking for a way to cope. So you journaled.
1: I journal just to understand and try to guess when the flare ups were coming. So I would write down everything that I was experiencing. This journal was only for sarcoidosis, okay. And I, anything, that was rela- anything that was related, anything that was related, allergic reactions, anything I did that exerted me, I was right keeping track of it to deter- and dating it and the time. And that was one mechanism for me to actually deal with it, because I didn't talk about it to people, because I was I was embarrassed that I had something that I couldn't even pronounce and didn't know anything about it. Right. Right. right? Yeah. And so I just kind of talked to myself through it. The other thing is like the community out out the community. Look at that! The leaders, the the community group leaders.
0: Right. Yes.
1: They can sit in the circle and listen, and I can't do that all the time. Why not? My mental state, okay, it depresses me.
0: Oh, okay, all right,
1: to hear. I it's funny because I'm listening to these people, right? And I'm like, oh my god, I thought I had it bad. I had it good. The one thing is, you do look, you reflect on yourself, right? So, you got you're on the call, and somebody's talking about their experience because they're all different. And then you look, and it's like, oh my god! And then you hear the next person, and everybody has something, mm-hmm. right? Because we're all them for this reason,
0: right? Just right.
1: listening to it sometimes it was depressing me. So yeah. I don't go to all the meetings. That's what I'm telling people: like any, anybody's interested in joining.
0: Well, you know, you're you're there, you're there to support the other people, but you're also there to talk through your own problems, and, and there's something cathartic about sharing these problems with with this common let's call it an enemy sarcoidosis. It is. And, and so you hear people talk through it and, you, and like, for me, like, like you, it's like, I, I thought it was the end of my world because it changed the way I had to approach my life. But mm-hmm. then I look at people who, who have it worse and I think, well, you know, I don't have it so bad. Okay. Like I, I can't, I can't do, I can't be what I once was, but I'm still a, a better version of myself than this guy. Or this woman, you know?
1: But it's funny you said it because I remember when I first found out, I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had like this. My life was, I was on top of my world. I had a great husband. I had two beautiful daughters. I had two dogs. We had a beautiful home in Westchester. Like what girls in Catholic school. What more could you ask for, right? Right, And then I could get to this. And everything about my world was totally turned upside down. And my husband was self-employed. So I was a mother, a wife, a dog walker, and I also <laughs> I also had to, um, whatever my husband's business needed, because he did the work. He was a finisher, so he did plaster and tape and wallpaper, okay. but I was helping with the proposals, and I would, you know what I'm saying, that kind of stuff. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then with sarcoidosis, you could get up and then have to lay right back down. You can't. So it was the worst thing that could happen. I cried for probably two straight months. Uh Of just not being able to do all the things that I could do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's where that perspective helps, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I like to do with the podcast. Like people are going to be listening to you today Mm -hmm. tell your story and they're going to compare that to themselves and they're going to be interested in your story because very interesting story, Uh, but they're going to, this is a support group kind of, right like we don't have those other people joining us in the conversation but they're listening to what we have to say today and they're they're comparing their situation they're getting perspective they're they're learning about maybe you know maybe i had a rash around my ankle and i didn't realize it um mm-hmm. or they're or they're realizing that going through prednisone is something that everybody with this disease has to do and it has to if you want yeah, to be here if you want if you want to you know get to the next thing first thing you got to do is get it under control Right. And then, you know, I'm interested in you because, I mean, were you, you can't referee basketball unless you played basketball. So did you play
1: hoops? Did not. What? Never played. How do you know the
0: rules of the game?
1: I was a cheerleader. Yeah. And I
0: dated I am totally once. a cheerleader, type. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so you, you know, when courses. somebody gets hacked and, you know, when there's a reach and, you know, when there's a, a carry and. Double
1: dribble and double all of dribble. that. What's I do. Because what happens is I'm a part of um, Board 12, which is out here in Maryland. And they're a part of IBO, And what they do training, right?
0: Never heard any and, of this. Okay. Yep.
1: Really? Oh, yeah, my never. God. It's amazing. I was like, this is my second season. I just started it. Really? I just started it. And I do volleyball too now. Because it's just so much fun. And also, too, it keeps you young because you've got all these young people. Yeah. And um, so what happens is you do training. Yeah, and you take um, and they get, and the rules are always changing mm-hmm. in the game, and so um, you meet you meet monthly. You get the training. You take a test. You have you could take it twice, three times, in order because you have. To, I just took it yesterday. I got like ninety eight. I'm oh, so yeah. proud of myself. Yeah. yeah,
0: nice. Yeah, and I'm
1: into yeah. it. And what I do too is I watch a lot of women's basketball because the game right. goes a little slower. Right. So that I could really horn in because I'm one of those people If I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it 100 percent. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have to be really good at it. So right. last year I spent a lot of my time with um, little kids yeah. because it's, they're learning the fundamentals. So it gave me the courage to go, oh, foul. Whoo, stop. I wouldn't do that. with. And now this year I'm spending more time. And as the season progressed, I started doing high school students and um middle okay. school and that kind of thing okay. so now this year i'm only going to do middle school and i'm only going to do um high school right i might do some um third and fourth graders but yeah. probably not because you really want to know the rules as well because my goal is to do it for college to rest I'd, on the college level
0: that would be awesome and so you can run you can run up and down the court right now and you're okay
1: it's funny because a couple of weeks ago was my first time doing. I did um, St. Albans, a Catholic school yeah. tournament that they have. Eight o'clock in the morning. That I said, oh, these are teen, high school boys, and I used my pump. The second game, I was like, oh my god, I had, I used my pump again. That third game, I had to do it twice because my body's not used to all that running, right? Right. I had to do it twice in the beginning and then mid midstream because i was just like winded, like totally winded, and i said okay girl you forgot you have soccer doses <laughs> you have to slow down and then you teach yourself how to breathe mm-hmm. did you have you did you find yourself doing is yours respiratory as well or you just uh,
0: my mine is um it's on my spinal cord it's neurosarc Ugh. so um uh, but i so it's kind of messed with my legs a little bit so but i used to play basketball um, no
1: way. So yeah. You, know all, you yeah. know, all the running I'm talking about. Oh, for sure. I did sure. the men's league too. They, right. The men's league gets angry with me because I'm like, dudes, you're all here getting the same NBA contract. Nothing. Right.
0: Nothing. Right. Knock
1: it off. This right. is a 40 and older right. league, you know, because they're so serious and they, like, you didn't see that? You didn't call it. That's the hardest part, getting that right. abuse from them.
0: Right. <laughs> right. 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 Well, there's a lot of stuff that goes on inside that it's hard to see if you're a ref, right? You know
1: Oh my God. Yeah. And you have to really pay attention to right. under the net and that kind of stuff. And the right. guys are worse. Cause that's so crazy. The older men, it's so funny.
0: Oh, I remember. I mean, look, you're hanging on to that last vestige of uh, of your of your basketball self and 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 you want to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish. Someone's trying to stop you and they follow you and you don't catch it as the ref, you're gonna hear about it.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But it's fun. The thing is that the part I like about it is because it it forces me to stretch in the beginning. Yeah. To stretch in the end and to walk every single day like Mm -hmm. I may not be able to do because I was just looking at joining the gym. I really want to do swimming. The swimming is the best exercise because my uh, sarcoidosis affects my joints. And so my rheumatologist said that the best thing for me to do is to swim. And he said, if you swim every day, then that would be good for you. Sure. And I also, but I, I don't have time to be doing that because then I got to wash and blow dry my hair every single day. I can't do that. I don't do uh, that.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, the hair thing is, is that's hard. That's why a lot of swimmers have the short hair and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a couple of triathlons and so I was spending a lot of time in the pool and mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a TV guy, you know, I mean, so, um, and my hair, it's, it's not like, it's not as difficult as your hair, but my hair was so stiff from the chlorine <laughs> that I can go back and look at tapes from the two or three years when I was really into, I was going to the pool two, three times a week. I don't know how the viewers
1: put up with it. <laughs> <laughs> the dad part of it, but it's actually the, one of the best exercise that and walking. Yeah. Cause you can't, I really can't do a whole lot of jumping. And also too, I recommend people do, um strength training
0: yeah right
1: and stuff to work on balance because as we get older our balance gets off so i'm finding myself trying to do all of these things and it's not enough um hours in the day
0: right right my wife's trying to get me to do yoga for all those same reasons
1: but yoga's really good you should try it
0: i gotta turn in my man card if i go do yoga
1: no you don't just do it at home privately
0: well maybe i can do that she, yeah. there, there's some new yoga outfit that just came to town. It's a franchise. And she said, oh, you should come. You should do it with me. I'm going to the initial meeting. Not a single man on the whole meeting. <laughs> it was at a wine bar. And, and I said, so, so did I miss something? She said, no, I'm glad you didn't come. You'd have been the only guy there, you know? And that so, would
1: have been
0: uncomfortable. Oh yeah. It would have been uncomfortable. Sure. Well, I you know. recommend
1: doing like, just do yoga on, uh, um on the, uh web on the internet or something they yeah, have just, all the apps
0: find an instructor and you know, do it because i think it would help my joints and it would help me stretch i know it will you know so well look um anything else you want to share with our sarcoidosis community
1: the Come one on? thing i'd like to share is and i really would like to see more people get involved with the sar- um the foundation of sarcoidosis and research i really this is my plug my plug really is to encourage people to to go online and read about the organization and see how there's something you can do as an individual. Because you don't have to have sarcoidosis, but you, the thing about sarcoidosis, it, it shows up anytime. time. You could have nothing and then have it or somebody in your family. And, it's, and more people are um, finding themselves with the disease. So we need people to really fight. And then we have Giving Tuesday coming up. And I'd like for people to... Um, Go along and give some type of contribution. Nothing is too small. Anything you give, because it all adds up together, right? So I'm really hoping that people um, get involved and and look for more literature on um, sarcoidosis. And there's life after sarcoidosis. Just because you're diagnosed with it doesn't mean, I know the first couple of um, months are scary because you do feel all alone. No matter who you are, no matter how much information is out there, you feel all alone. But I want to let people know, too, that no, you're not alone. It's a whole community waiting to come and support you and help you through it. Because the good thing about the foundation is it's naturally everywhere in every state. You got some help, so I just encourage people to um, go out and do that. Look for it. This has been awesome. Now I'm gonna have you come on my show and talk about sarcoidosis.
0: I'll do it. Uh, I'll you will? Oh, well, for sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> be good. Where are you I'm in Virginia?
0: Or I'm I'm in Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah.
1: I can even do it as a Zoom.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've got to do it as a Zoom. I don't know if I can. It's four hours from me to you. And uh, finding four hours in my life is pretty hard right now.
1: Oh, I I can imagine. Yeah. And I want you at your peak, so and we wouldn't be able to do it early in the morning.
0: (laughs) Okay, but, you know, if you want to do it as a Zoom, I'll do it for sure.
1: Perfect. Oh, that'd be nice.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I feel like a zombie. Just feedin' at stumble
0: So thanks again to Sharon for sharing her story, for volunteering for FSR at Inova Health. And maybe you can look her up if you live in the greater Washington, D.C. area, northern Virginia. And she also has that great public access show on YouTube that uh, will there will be a link in the show notes if you want to look that up and maybe you can find her and who knows, maybe she'll... She'll come and do uh, an interview, uh, or you know, an interview with you. You can go meet her, or however, however they work that out via Zoom, or however that works. I'd, I'm not sure exactly how that is, um, but uh, but yeah, that would be uh, that would be great if uh, if you and Sharon could could hook up and you guys can continue to tell the sarcoidosis story. The official Sark Fighters song is Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter. The story behind the lyrics is back in episode 12. That's a great interview. When I don't mess up, I release every other Monday. Once again, my apologies for missing last Monday. As I'm speaking today, yes, in fact, my trusty dog, Dougal, is curled up on the chair in my office. Dougal makes my life so much better. And the backstory to the founding for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11, 11, that's with Andrea and Redding Wilson. Don't forget to follow the Sarc Fighter on Facebook, on Instagram, I'm even on Peloton. If you have a treadmill or a bicycle, a, a, you know, a Peloton bicycle, or even I think they have a Peloton rowing machine now, uh, just look me up as Sarc Fighter and follow along. Uh, my cycling blog, Carl and the Cyclist, has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. I recently posted uh, a new post about riding my gravel bike up through the mountains, and it wasn't really sarcoidosis related, but uh, a lot of you who are cyclists have, have found this show by hook or by crook, and you might find that interesting, so look up Carl and the Cyclist. And if you're new here and you are just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. Uh, He just talks, it's like sarcoidosis 101, everything you need to know or want to know about sarcoidosis, all all the questions maybe you're afraid to ask because you think that everybody else knows so much more than you. Well, I asked him all the basic stuff, and that's right there. And then my sad story is episode one, where I just kind of told you how I got to where I am with sarcoidosis. And if you want to go back and listen to that, that's there. And you can send me an email if you'd like to appear on the show or if you have a comment, and sometimes I do share comments here on the show. It's carlinagency at gmail.com or just go to the show notes and you can find my email address. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep fighting.
1: Learn